The next train to Tangent City departs in one minute. This is an unlimited service that may stop at reviews, spoilers, and swearing. Passengers traveling with young or conservative travel companions are reminded to read the show description before embarking on any journey to Tangent City. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on in Perth, Western Australia. The Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation. We wish to acknowledge their continuing culture. And pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ghosts in. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, last weekend we were like, you know, Abby, uh, our chihuahua of 14 years, she, she passed a few, uh, what was it, May? It was May, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like 4th of May. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when she passed. <laughs> Bitch had great time. She yeah. did. Um, and so she she passed then and then we uh, we got her uh, to one of these uh, places that like make your pets mm-hmm. and then they, they you know, give you a footprint and uh, like hair clippings and all, all those kind of things. And also the... No, the vet did the footprints. No, no, no. The footprints uh, were. Oh, sorry. You're meaning like all the yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, those the, the, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the vet sent us this lovely little card, and they'd done like little, little footprints. Print. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it was, uh, but it, like the whole procedure, like we'd never had to put an animal to sleep before. Mm-mm. What's that? I said Mm-mm. we have we haven't put a no uh, no haven't no. But the uh, it was it was like really nice and it was just like you know comforting and they gave you the, the time and you, you you knew that you were doing the right thing mm-hmm. for, for for your animal like because she was we'd never seen her in that that state before where she was like no. whimpering and stuff like that and uh, it was very hard it was it was like one of the saddest things i've ever had to do but um we got got her cremated and then she was uh, like sitting by our bedside <laughs> and like the bag with all the stuff in there um for months and then uh last weekend we decided to yeah finally put her to into the ground mm. um and put her under a blueberry bush because she liked blueberries so that was that was nice well and dad had given me this blueberry bush for mm. christmas and so i i, I kind of earmarked it um like after like obviously not at christmas time but um like because we, we kept it in the pox we wanted to be able to find the ideal spot for it in the yeah. garden so we'd been kind of moving it around i'd had it in a few different spots and then when abby passed i said well when we do pop her into the the ground because we decided that we didn't want to scatter the ashes because like well, where would we go to scatter them? Mm. Like, it wasn't like she used to hang out by the river with us or anything like that. Cause she was just too old, mm. and so um, I sort of earmarked that that could be a good way to to sort of immortalize, yeah. <laughs> for want of a better term, unless I kill the blueberry, um, <laughs> which shows there's always that small possibility. You won't. You won't. <laughs> but yeah, so it was it was kind of nice. So we did that, and because like last weekend it started to flower, mm-hmm. and we thought well we'll before it starts to get a lot of the leaf growth because they're kind of a little bit deciduous um before a lot of that leaf growth starts to come back and before the um berries start to set Mm. in you know rather than trying to move the plant around and um and plant it when it's going through that we thought we'd get it in the ground now yeah but the uh, I, I was like mentioning it because i don't know whether it was i'd said something about it or whatever but uh, all of a sudden i got this 
thing on my, my Facebook, um, which was this company that makes, like, takes photographs of your pet mm-hmm. and then makes, like, a stuffed toy replica of oh. your pet. So, so you can, like, you know, still, like, you know, have something that looks like your pet and you can, like, you know, same size and you can, like, yeah. hug it. Um, and actually, I don't think it was always the same size because somebody had a horse and they made a version, <laughs> yeah, a version of the horse <laughs> and it was, like, a lot smaller. Um, but... I was like, that's sweet. Okay, that's nice. Mm-hmm. I can I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, and it's got a little compartment where you can put your pet's ashes in it. Oh, oh. no. Oh. I'm like, no, no, that's no. Why? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Don't don't be doing that. Like, it's just like the um the the, the thing is that you know you know when we we buried the ashes of uh, Abby last week, it was kind of like. It's nothing. It's like it's literally you know, ashes to ashes, mm-hmm. dust to dust. That is what it is. That isn't your pet. It was actually kind of awful. Yeah. Like it's all the chunky bits. But mm. yeah, it's not. It's not your pet. That's yeah. that's the, the yeah. The just something you put in the ground. It's like the physical, like the, the, the physical side is gone, but like the soul and the you know the mm. heart and the memory mm. yeah. is is yeah. you know very much. I mean, as much as that sounds cheesy and sentimental, mm. I think that you know, yeah, it's really not about the physical side of things. Is it? It's more about the memories you have and the, exactly. and the times you've spent. And mm. and don't be putting your ashes in stuffed toys, people. Yeah, that's that's just a bit. Bizarre. I mean, each to their own, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can get really the necklaces weird. too, where you get like little. Oh, they, com- they make yeah. a compressed um, carbon. Um, At least that's they- something. I mean, it's, it's become something. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's more, yeah, just about the memory yeah. and, and things I agree. like that moving. I, I quite like the idea of a paw print. I think that's mm. really I cute. I thought like, the paw print was actually quite a mm. moving thing. Like, that was quite sweet. That's um, cute. Yeah, um, but uh, do you know what else turns to ash? <laughs> is um, human flesh when it's been zapped by an atomic bomb? <laughs> yes, very what you, what, scary wrong? thought. No, no it's, it's, it's Robin's just like gone nuts. But oh, it, it's scary. People out the front. Yeah. I've always said to you know how much I hate the Terminator film yeah. when yeah. Sarah Connor has that vision of the you know nuclear thing like bomb going off and then yep. people just being burned to flesh but yep. uh you know of course a bit of history shows us that you know that is somewhat accurate mm. uh not in that scenario robots aren't taking over the world well not not <laughs> yet uh but for this particular film we go back in history to uh oh i can't even remember the year look at that uh look at that 1940 Three, I think, is where we kind of picked it up. Yeah, uh, you guys can correct me in a moment. But we are, of course, talking about Oppenheimer mm-hmm. because we talked about Barbie. We were going to do the Barbenheimer, but worked out that we had a lot to say about Barbie that we didn't realise. It was it was a nice little therapy session um, where we got to <laughs> talk out our our Barbie thoughts. Um, but we thought that we'd give Oppenheimer its own little episode. So um, today you are joined by Cecilia, you are joined by Lewis, and you are joined by myself, Catherine, as we embark on this Tangent City episode. Oh, nice. I was wondering, I was going, did Kat say Tangent City? I didn't think she said Tangent City. And then you just worked it into it. It's very nice. Very Seamless, wow. some Seamless, might say. Yeah. I feel like I got the seal of approval <laughs> and we probably need to talk to Lewis about the patriarchy. Hey. Oh, wait, we did that last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer mm-hmm. was uh, something that I was looking forward to. Do you know what? It wasn't necessarily for the content because I'm a little bit like you. I think I find um, 
I find that apocalyptic stuff very confronting. I find nuclear stuff very confronting. And I was lucky I had my emotional support, Lewis, with me. So I made it through the film. Um, I know that Rachel noticed that someone actually walked out. And I could understand why. Because we were in a Dolby Atmos theatre. And Mm -hmm. the rumblings of some of the sound effects, I found it very overwhelming. And I can understand, you know, combined with the graphics and stuff, that some people might have just gone, you know what, this is too much for me. I'm going to leave the movie. And Mm -hmm. I, I... think there's nothing wrong with that um but yeah i just i i find it very confronting that side of things but i was really looking forward to it because i think that killian murphy is an extraordinary actor and he always has this capacity to make unlikable characters likable and i didn't know much about Oppenheimer. I, I didn't know, uh, like, a, apart from the fact that he had something to do with the, the Manhattan Project and all, and all of that sort of side of stuff. Is that what it was called? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't know much more than that. And so, I, but I think that Killian Murphy was the perfect person to cast into that role and really capture the complexities of that character. Well, another person who thinks that Killian Murphy's a really good actor is uh, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan, I hear. Big Cause, fan. Because uh, since um, Batman or, mm-hmm. or ba- the Batman Begins, uh, he's pretty much cast him, uh, Killian into everything he's done. But this is the very first time that he's had the, the leading role. Well, do you, it, originally he gave it a swing to put him into the leading role. In Batman, well, because that's how they met was because Killian was uh, auditioning Mm -hmm. for Batman. Mm -hmm. Like, could you imagine Killian Murphy as Batman? Yeah, (laughs) it's an interesting thought, isn't it? But I think think he could have made a really good brooding Bruce Wayne. I think that the the casting choice that they made, both for his role and for ultimately the Batman role, I think that they both worked out better. Mm. But. Yeah, it's so so weird though when you uh, hear Killian Murphy speaking with his natural Irish accent mm. because you're so used to seeing him play a British guy or an American guy and his accents are spot on, and then all of a sudden he opens up his mouth as an Irish person going, "Holy shit, that's really yeah. surprising!" Yeah. And it, but the um, I heard a, a funny story about Margaret Robbie, um, somebody complaining about Margaret Robbie putting on an Australian accent, which is oh, Australian media. I think I posted something, and it was just like it was uh, something to the effect that I don't know why she's putting on an Australian accent or something like that. It's just like you know proving that she's a good actor or yeah. something. It's just like, well. But Lewis is referring to it, so I was listening to the um, What the Fuck Mm -hmm. episode with um, Mark Maron, and so that was an interesting episode on a couple of levels because it was recorded at the end of June, and Mark Maron actually, before he went into the interview proper, um, he'd done a, like a, I don't know what you call it, where you like do an introduction, Mm -hmm. I guess, to the podcast. And he explained that um, this did meet SAG guidelines because 
um, you do have the situation at the moment where SAG-AFTRA are on industrial action. So that also includes people doing press for movies. And so... What the allow that so the the line that was drawn in the sand was that press interviews and um and the likes that had been conducted prior to the strike being called um could be used could be aired okay. but anything um after that was recorded after or and people shouldn't have recorded after mm. um that that could not be aired and I think that and that. You know, people shouldn't engage in interviews after that time. So um, I thought that was quite interesting. But you're right. Like it was it was because I have seen probably Killian Murphy the most in Peaky Blinders. Ah, oh, yeah, show I've never watched, but Ooh. have been recommended a, a multitude of times. I so you, I, think, I think you'd dig it. Like yeah. it's got this griminess to it that That's I think you'd really I like. like. I do like that. I think. And yeah, you given, seem like a grimy person. I do. <laughs> you know, but I like those kind I of things. <laughs> you know, I like that kind of yeah. Something that's a bit more you know kind of out there obscure not your kind of traditional Mm. stuff yeah because it kind of takes that whole thing of it being like you know you set in an olden day times Mm -hmm. but there's something a little bit of a twist on their experience and and how everything is portrayed yeah. i think you'd really quite like it but we're not doing a peaky blinders episode <laughs> i'm trying not to go on too much but I, I think a tangent you know this this film oppenheimer it's three hours long mm-hmm. it gives killian murphy you know the platform to really show us his acting chops and yeah. i think he's done a good job you know throughout the the duration of the film and i think for me you know anytime i see that a film's three hours long i get mm. a little bit but uh you know mm. it's so funny that uh it just covers a large number of milestones mm. um in the life of Oppenheimer right through uh you know 1920s as this kind of young promising university student to you know where he was crowned the father of the atomic bomb in 1960 so the film does cover quite an extensive period of time but it does when yeah. you think about it how fast paced is this film well, it is. Like, that's the thing. Is like three hours. There's three hours and there's three hours. If it's three hours and the director is being uh, very um, self-indulgent, mm. then it can seem like a really long three hours. But if it's three hours and they've crammed a shitload in there and the pacing is on, on point, mm-hmm. then it can just go in a flash. And I think that the, the three-hour movie is something that Nolan is a bit of a master mm. of. Yeah. I, I, could be, I could be wrong. But I think that most of his movies do tend towards the longer end of the scale. Like you look at um, something like... like, I mean, Dunkirk no, that's was not obviously true. quite long. No, it um, wasn't. It was only one hour 46. Was it really? really? Yeah, yeah. It was really short. Well, I think Nolan is obviously this guy that we know plays around with time mm. uh, a lot. But um, Oh, yeah. Especially when you look at something like Tenet. Yeah. I mean, I know I've not seen Tenet. It's one of the only Nolan films I haven't oh. seen. So I often get told not to watch it because it wasn't that good. But I'm thinking... I think that... You have to be in the frame of mind to right. watch it. Okay. And I think because, again, I mean, you spoke about in Barbie that you weren't sure whether you were going to like it because there was so much hype. Mm-hmm. And I think that Tenet is one of those ones where, because conceptually it's quite intriguing the way that it is performed, the way that 
um, the story flows because obviously you got the backwards and the forwards. And so, because, you know, tenets the same spell yeah. both ways. Mm-hmm. And what do you call it? A Oh, um, it's called a – oh, my gosh. Slip my mind. <laughs> oh, People no, are yelling at – It's not anagram. Uh, no, it's, it's a, a – Oh, pe- goodness. It starts with a P? A parallelogram? A, a pe- oh, my God. What, <laughs> palindrome. What? Palindrome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, it starts with a P. I know it starts Sorry. with a P, but – um, this is a, at three hours. It's his longest film. Okay, because um, right. like his other films, like Interstellar was a. They're um, about two and a half hours. Yeah. Aren't Interstellar they was fairly long. Though. Yeah, that Interstellar was, was 169. Yeah. So just over two hours. Yeah. 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 So this this is diff, this is pretty full on to have a. a okay, a so I, I my understanding was that he'd actually done longer movies. Um, before, but I, I think that I'm just going to um, do a Lewis here and um, retract your statement. And, and, no, and just no, like don't. call myself out as being incorrect. His films are not your average length. They're mm. always quite long, whether or not they're sitting at closer to two hours or three hours. But I think nonetheless, you know, like his other films, he does play around with time. This film is not linear. It does weave around two separate herrings. You've got one, Mm. the closed door, you know, Inquisition shot in full Mm colour. The public deposition shot in like that rich black and white Mm. looking. Um, Mm. And that kind of looks at, you know, Oppenheimer's ties with, you know, communism or alleged ties, I should say. Um, But I think a large bulk of the film does also focus on the Manhattan Project and kind of the race against Nazis to develop the bomb uh, and then also his kind of moral uh, revulsion around that and I think for me uh, it took me a little while to get used to the pacing of this film because I honestly thought being three hours it was going to feel slow mm. but it doesn't mm. it takes you a little bit of time to get used to what's happening in each of those time well, frames you, usually when you start a movie you settle into it and that's it yeah but it's I'm kind of glad <laughs> I'm going to let this one out of the bag. I'm kind of glad that I watched Firefly Lane because <laughs> that jerked all over the place. Like in each episode, you're running on three different timelines. Yeah. And it was difficult to actually watch unless you really sat there and watched it. And I think that was part of the beauty of that show is that while – in itself, it wasn't. It was. It was a little bit sort of like gossipy and girly mm. and that kind of thing. But it, it because of the format, it actually forced you to watch it. You couldn't be sat there on your phone, yeah, because you'd miss the transitions mm-hmm. into different timelines and that kind of thing. Um, plus, like, I mean, Catherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk, like, are freaking amazing people, and like seeing them on screen, that was just mm-hmm. that was. A plus for me but I think that because of watching that I think that I didn't I think I I coped better with the uh the times the different times that we're going through and the different scenarios that we're going through in this movie um better than I would have pre-watching Firefly Lane which I was Firefly Lane was my training for watching Oppenheimer yeah. which is such a big think piece but I, I think like, I think I had the same thing with Young Rock uh doing yes. the three different timelines yeah it just just made it easy for me no but at least with Young Rock they generally focused on one timeline yeah. per episode whereas like Firefly Lane 
was like this i mean you watched a few episodes yeah, of it yeah. um it was jerking all over yeah, the yeah. place in each episode so you had to literally yeah. just be watching it you couldn't be on your phone at the same but, time uh, christopher nolan uh, i think he um has respect for his audience to understand that they can go in there i mean hell when with dunkirk mm. the way that he had like the three stories going and each of those stories were over a different period of time mm-hmm. uh like to have like one one story where it's over like a, a day another story over an hour another story yeah. over like a few minutes um and then, like, cutting between those ones and then the audience kind of, like, having to piece it together in their heads. Mm. And, again, with Oppenheimer, it's a similar kind of thing where you've got um, you know, Oppenheimer in his um, later years uh, having a hearing that's going to decide whether he's going to be a security risk to revalidate his security clearance mm-hmm. or, or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the uh, character played by Robert Downey Jr., uh, Louis... Um, Challenger or something is um, uh, he he was the um, atomic energy commissioner guy mm-hmm. who was working with Oppenheimer. Uh, I think was that uh, that was after the atomic bomb. Uh, it was Louis Strauss. Strauss, sorry, yeah. Strauss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that he covered a couple of timelines. Mm. So I think that he was like both before, before and after, and oh, okay, after right. because when he goes up to work with him at. Uh, which university is it? And they and Einstein's by the lake. Yes. Sorry, and we haven't said it yet, but um, spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yes. So he's involved in that, but I think the the black and white contrast to the color part of mm-hmm. the film, I think, is more Strauss's viewpoint, mm. or maybe not. But I no, feel no, like no. I think that you might be onto that because I felt like it was more evident that he was you know it was him and mm-hmm. then anything color was more Oppenheimer mm-hmm. uh, and his experience whereas yeah yeah because it, it didn't seem to be it didn't delineate just about the hearing when you saw uh that scene by the lake where it was um Oppenheimer and um Einstein from Strauss's point of view yeah. it wasn't black and white yeah I didn't actually pick that. Thank you. I No, it was more just a thought, and I don't even know if it was the intention of Nolan, but it just felt like that for me because it yeah. felt like it was more harsh, and I think that Strauss was more harsh in trying to really turn the public against potentially Oppenheimer. Um, like, I, I mean, I like these um, biographical movies because I feel like you learn a, a certain yeah. amount, and you also have to take some things with a pinch of salt because you know that there's – um obviously going to be elements that they use for the story dramatic um yeah, dramatic effect yeah. and all that kind of stuff mm. um but the things that i like are the concepts that are brought into them so that concept that um uh, that there's a very vindictive kind of element in that uh the um what do you call it the university kind of that kind of academic mm-hmm. field there's there's like a i'll get you back at some point yeah and it wasn't just from strauss it was other people that obviously had those intents um, because someone had done them wrong at some point. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, it's an unfortunate human trait, but it was interesting to see that raised because you'd think that people 
who are working together for a common goal that would they, they would yeah but not be better compete against each other yeah. necessarily yeah i think it was all about recognition and you know wanting to achieve something and being the the forefront of it and it mm. is such a human trait we have we always want to be the first or the best and yeah i mean the whole physics thing him bringing physics to america was it physics or uh, theoretical physics theoretical Th- thank yeah. you yeah theoretical physics to america and then you know other people being yeah i mean it, it, it's an interesting that con- tall poppy syndrome yeah. coming into play a little bit as well maybe yeah. and also that fear of the unknown oh for sure i mean the, the we've seen it before as well with the uh communism where what was that movie that had the writers um, that were um, caught up in the communism thing where they were blacklisted off working. Um, oh, gosh, what was that movie? It was only about probably about eight, ten years ago. I was gonna, no, it's not Argo, is it? No, no, it's no, not no, Argo. Not, no, 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 no. It was set in the 1960s, 70s. Can't remember. That kind of time period. And there were writers who were blacklisted from working because they were seen as being communists. Right. Um, oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to, like, really think about who That's was in interesting. it. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of kind of uh, cinema, cinema, cinematic moments in this film mm-hmm. that work mm-hmm. really, really well. And I think it's the lead up to the, the testing of the atomic bomb. Uh, which is a big one for me and yeah. particularly the use of the sound editing. Mm. I think throughout this film, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the entire film, there was sound. There was something happening. There was, you know, this suspenseful music, whatever it may be. And then the moment they test the bomb, it's silent for the mm. first moment of that, which I think is such a – and this is huge spoilers, so I hope I'm not spoiling when, it too much. No, but no, no, it's perfect. I, I think that yeah. – it's not just silent for a moment. There's minutes. It's minutes. Yeah, it's minutes. And I think yeah. the whole film from, you know, the start, you get – there's music running throughout it. And mm. if you go back and watch it, you'll notice that the whole time there's music there, right? Mm. It's suspenseful in a way. And then all of a sudden it cuts out moments before – well, as they're testing this bomb. And then a few minutes later, you get the bang. Mm. And I think it's so incredibly impactful because it's basically using sound to have that impact and then the other moment was when Oppenheimer is uh doing his or he's presenting or he's doing something and he has that whole moral evulsion and he can't get through like you kind of see what's in his head Mm. as he's trying to spit out this speech of you know doing this and he's yeah. but then he realizes maybe the the impact it's had i thought that was such a powerful scene um when he's trying to give that speech and there's noise there's people stamping their feet and in his head he's thinking of all the things that he's just done mm. and and how that could potentially be so destructive like um, that degree of um oh, trauma that he was suffering just incredible uh. i thought that was just done so well in this this film and you know how he sees like the the burnt person on the ground Mm. and the screams of the people and it kind of hits you it it makes you feel for uh him and also yeah all the yeah it's horrible i mean war in general is just horrible and i think you when you watch this film you understand 
the stupidity of the whole thing Mm -hmm. that humanity created a weapon Mm -hmm. that can literally destroy the earth Mm. and isn't that just insane that's the whole thing about this film is you think about what they did and i i get it in a way like if they didn't do it someone else would but would they have? I, I don't know. I but mean, that, it's, that's the thing. That's the, I think that's we the, don't know. Yeah, really, that's do the we? argument they're making mm. is had uh, the Americans not created the atomic bomb, then the Germans would have done mm. it and they would have you know, dropped it on them. Mm. So it was just a matter of getting to the first um, to to make sure that they had the bomb, and then like actually like not using it as a like as a stick, but actually like using it yeah. was a was really different. Like. Uh, I thought that the way that they portrayed how it was going to be used was interesting that, you know, the scientists were saying, I think you need to reach out and say X, Y, Z, but the army were only feeding into the government what they wanted Mm. to feed in because they wanted to meet their goals. They wanted to use the bomb. You kind of see how the system is really flawed. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, that side of things is, is... difficult but i think that the idea of this this person who had to reconcile that he was a scientist he was doing his job but he had to reconcile the um the consequences of him doing his job and him succeeding Mm. so his success was not necessarily overall a great thing for humanity Mm. Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it is heavy, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's full on. Like it, it literally is something that you know changed our world. Like prior to this, you know, warfare was you know dudes in a field running at each other with guns and bayonets and bayonets, yeah. uh, planes going overhead and dropping you know conventional bombs overhead, which are devastating enough in, the, in their own right. Yeah. But this thing was just like you city destroyer. You just drop this bomb and it destroys the city. Not just now, but for for generations. Yeah. Um, it's just it's 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 a hideous thing. Like I mean, I wish that they just kept it as theory and never actually got to the point of having atomic weapons or nuclear weapons uh, or nuclear power or anything like that because it's just like (laughs) it's just wrong like it's just not not a great thing it's not and and because you got the so much collateral damage Mm. and stuff like that that you're dealing with as well i think that's one of the things that i mean last time we went to japan we only really went to tokyo Mm -hmm. um i mean we went slightly south of tokyo but not very south of tokyo um this time we are going to be in a position to travel around a little bit more um one of the things that i don't know that i can do is go to hiroshima i think that that's just a like a little bit much Mm. (laughs) and it'll be interesting to see whether like you know i mean i've always said that i won't go on roller coasters and look at me go but um (laughs) I just, I think it might be a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I struggle with, you know, that um, uh, the Lord Carnarvon's Egyptian collection, mm. like, whoa. I mean, that Egyptian collection that's coming to Perth, we ain't gone. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> putting myself out there now. Well, it's, yeah, it's one of those those things is like, uh, you, you know, you watch Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones is like, this needs to be in a museum. And it's like... Yeah, dude, but needs to be in a museum in the country it comes from, not the uh, not England, not America, you know. And that's that's the thing about like you know, colonialism and stuff like that is that we we tend to go places and rip people off. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> the uh, Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, like obviously, you know, interesting, interesting dude. 
Uh, interesting. <laughs> Sorry, I'm making Cecilia laugh. I decided to go grab another bottle of um, wine out of the fridge, and we we just recorded a was cast, and we were talking about um, Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Chardonnay, because that's what we do, darling. Have a bit of a shardy. Chardonnay. Chardonnay on a Saturday. And we had a really delicious 2014 mm-hmm. um, Chardonnay. Uh, this is a 2022 that I've cracked open. I thought, I'll just check, check the temperature of this one. And we're running at a, a crisp 13.2. 13.2. Delightful. <laughs> Delightful. It is. But um, I will implore you to, I know you're driving, so you won't be able to have a lot, but to just have a have tiny a sip tiny of this taste. because this is yeah. one of those wild ones. So okay. it's actually it's, it's a little bit different, a little wild, bit nice. Hey? You, and, sir, are not allowed to have any. And what year is that from? At, as I said, 2022. If oh. you're listening... And does it pair, does it will it pair nicely with a chicken twisty? It possibly. <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. Now, okay, so can we go back to yeah, Oppenheimer? Getting back to Oppenheimer. So, bit of a cock monster, mm. like, like the uh, like the ladies. Uh, Sorry, what? A co- I thought cock monster would have been someone who enjoyed penises. Yeah, uh, maybe I don't know. I just I was I was trying to come up with some sort of euphemism, and uh, I think that was a terrible euphemism. Fair enough. Okay. Oh, so y- did you make that up, or did is that genuinely a term that's used? No, no, I just made that. Oh, up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I call him out. Okay. I'm just like going. Sorry, that sounds like a gay term. Oh. Like, <laughs> you're right. If it's like Cookie Monster and he loves cookies, yeah, Cock Monster C would love cock. For, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I <laughs> thought that maybe that's what he was referring right, to, and just, you were reading uh, that from there. Let me just, let me just take that back. Uh, okay, so so it seems opposite. No, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> he enjoyed sexual relations with a number of people. He did. With, with, well, with the, the female people, because because mm-hmm. it was like it was clearly like the. Uh, the female people he, he liked. Um, you don't know that. Well, I mean, the from, film they only from showed the, the information female. I was True. presented. Um, so they, they show him having a relationship with uh, Jean Tat- Tatlock, mm-hmm. um, who was played by Florence Pugh. Who and, was magnificent mm. in that role. I wanted to see more so of her. So did I. I mean, we yeah. saw quite a lot of her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> no, but I wanted to see more of her because I think that she is just a delight on screen. Mm. I, I can't wait to see her in her next role. She also seemed like quite a troubled character yeah. and i don't really feel like i got to we the, to the to bottom ex- of that i felt like there was more to learn about her well, and maybe the, there's only limited information maybe. that they had to work yeah. with so it was a reflection of that you saw um her and uh oppenheimer have a relationship uh, early on mm-hmm. and then uh robert oppenheimer met his his wife mm-hmm. uh, wife to be uh kitty catherine kitty oppenheimer mm-hmm. um and she was played by emily emily blunt but then he also Emily Emily Blunt so, is that how she's introducing herself? That's now? right. Yes, played by Emily Blunt, and I'd love her to play James <laughs> Bond. I think that'd be wonderful. He yeah. goes cough back, and she had I missed you cough. <laughs> yeah, so she was played by Emily Blunt, and uh, there is a point in the film where Oppenheimer uh, goes to meet with Jean, and they have a, a liaison. Now they're from the movie. Like again, like we we just we can just surmise from what we've seen in the movie. I don't know if this was in real life, but their relationship seemed to be very sexually charged. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, also dealt with like you know uh, Indian Sanskrit as well, mm. like uh, reading that out while having having sex, um, which that that was completely like something that I'm sure that uh, uh, Mr. Nolan just you know made up because he needed to get. Do, that, do the, you think so? not not necessarily <laughs> the reading Sanskrit while having sex, but being able to read Sanskrit full. Story. Stop. Do you think that he was a bit of a um, consumer of languages? Because there was that bit in the beginning where, uh, well, in the beginning, sorry, at the beginning of his career, I don't think it was at the beginning of the movie, where he goes to a lecture and, uh, sorry, he's giving a lecture in um, in Dutch and there's a, another American there and he's sitting next to a, a guy who is European and That's I'm right. assuming that he yeah. was Dutch and he said, oh, if you need me to translate some of the um, – uh, the American said to the uh, European guy sitting next to him, if you need me to translate anything for you, just like let me mm-hmm. know. I do know a little bit of both languages. And then Oppenheimer gets up and he's just like going, oh, this guy's going to be so boring. And he he kind of doesn't – he doesn't start out – it's like he's not going to be able to get any words out and you're thinking, oh, is this like where he just like – he fails? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. He's like sort of gathering his thoughts and then he just launches into it in Dutch. <sighs> yeah. And so like- the American guy is just like going, I don't think I can keep up with this. <laughs> and um, so they're on the train together and having that conversation, he's just like going, you speak Dutch? He's just like, oh, well, yeah, um, I rocked up at the university five weeks ago and I thought it was just easier to learn the language or something <sighs> to that effect. I can't remember what the actual comment was. It was just like he learned it in a very, very small amount of time. He didn't just learn a language like to be able to say like, you know, Mikiamo Catherine. He learnt the language in order to give a fucking physics lecture. Yeah, and those those words in physics aren't easy to translate. Like they're not your everyday no. words. Like you have to actually research yeah. those. And, and it's and then, like to be able to make sense mm. and to be able to deliver it to academics. Yeah who would be highly critical of how you're using language. Mm. I feel like he was a very intelligent person. No joke. Uh, yeah. Who, did did mm. you feel like it went a little bit um, – uh, who was the guy from Perth who was quite brilliant? Was it called the piano player guy, um, Helfgott, David Helfgott? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that movie called? Was it called – it wasn't called A Brilliant Mind. It was called – uh, a beautiful mind? No, that's no. That's it was the Russell right, it was Crew one movie. Word. Um, uh, Lewis can look that up for us. But mm. I, I kind of feel like with some of the raindrop stuff, like he yeah. was like there was some sort of portrayal that he was uh, like obviously brilliant, but not necessarily a uh, a linear mind. Yes. Yeah. I think shine. Shine, thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I didn't think of that. It's always one word. Yeah, no, well done. Yeah, I I don't know if I necessarily learned a lot about Oppenheimer because I feel like the brux of the film was Mm. the Manhattan Project and the race against, you know, um, to get the nuclear bomb. But uh, I think, yeah, I mean, him himself, I could easily watch a film about him uh, in general. Although I think that I don't think you could do another film on him other than doing it the way Nolan's done it. Like, uh, to me... I, I tend to agree because I think that unless you had an autobiography to go from, I yeah. think that it would be really hard to get that um, that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that anyone around him would have really had 
um, like you know how some people are open books and people around them would have had insight into how they operated, how they would have thought around certain yeah. things, like you know the kids or the wife or whoever. Um, it, like I mean, I just don't think that that would necessarily exist unless he'd put pen to paper about those thoughts if he kept diaries and that kind of thing. So I think that this was quite a a brilliant way to capture his mind and and, uh, his just incredible life when you think about it in terms of what he did but also capturing – the treatment of someone who should have been just a hero full stop and you'd think that that would be where it ended but he was under so much scrutiny and uh, like put under such duress because of really what was a vendetta yeah yeah and as well as the way it was shown in the film it's also a question whether he's a hero or like a villain at the end of the Mm -hmm. day as well Oh, I don't know. It's it's such a difficult concept to to grapple with. No, no, with, no. It but. really is because I mean, if you mm. if you took someone that had been um, subscripted into the is that what it's called conscripted conscripted yeah. into um, into the army in Australia and they went to war and they killed Nazis, you'd probably think of them as a hero. So you want to kill Nazis? <laughs> but if you had someone in Germany that was conscripted. And march people into concentration camps and contribute in that way. They are not necessarily viewed as just doing their job, and so I think that there is a bit of a like a oh. It's hard because I remember I watched this film and I couldn't even tell you the name of the film, but it was years ago and it was told from kind of the point of somebody who I think worked in a, a concentration camp mm-hmm. and that it was based on a true story. I will find more details. It was based mm-hmm. on a true story, but it was like told from the perspective of someone who traditionally would be considered bad. Mm-hmm. But you see their story and it was like they, they had to, like they had no choice. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I feel like Oppenheimer in a way may not have had a choice because look, let's be honest. Like, it is a question he, of ethics. If he didn't do it, mm. would they have just got somebody else to do it? Well, and there was a race for that yeah. as well. So if he hadn't done it, would it have been another country that mm. had um, achieved that? And there was that um, thing of, um, oh my goodness, uh, uh, Hindenburg was also mm. um, mm-hmm. trying to achieve that kind of atomic weapon and he was and it worked out that he was a lot further behind than what they thought but there was still this sense of urgency to get there first Mm. and then when they got there I don't think that there was that stop and think I, I don't think there was a stop and think about whether they should use it like nobody considered the ethics of it Mm -hmm. everyone just thought not everyone sorry i think that the focus was on ending the war in japan because obviously by the time they had made the weapon viable they had like the 
Hitler had killed himself and... I yeah, think so, Jer- just, it was basically so it was just, only yeah. Japan that was in play at that time. So they do question whether they even needed to drop the bomb on there or whether Japan yeah. was going to give up on their own accord. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the thing. I think that America was just... I don't know what their motives were. Yeah, I don't want to drop a bomb on someone. Probably. Yeah. Well, it was kind of revenge for Pearl Harbor. So. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. They had to be yeah. in the bonnet after yeah. Pearl Harbor, which I mean. Speaking speaking like, about like that's the thing is like that whole thing of what do you call it? Um, where you use um not necessary force, but like you know like unreasonable. Yeah, like so if someone breaks into your house and you shoot them but mm. all they've done is broken into your house whether that is um what's the term is that's it used? a french term it, mature for no, no it's not that one that's, that's different if they style. so so it's like um uh reasonable force like yeah. if somebody breaks in your house with a knife and you stab them then that's cool if somebody breaks in your house with a knife and you shoot them then it's unreasonable uh, force I, yeah i don't know but, i don't know where i'm going with that but I, I just think that like it was it was over the top it was overkill yeah <laughs> oh no wait force mature uh, also encompasses human actions such oh, as okay. armed conflict. So, oh yeah, but force majeure is like more of a term that's used in insurance, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, something when that's out of your can't con- be held accountable, like a hurricane mm-hmm. or like flood or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a company, not a company, a country's uh, been a bit pissed off by uh, Oppenheimer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you know which country is a bit pissed off by Oppenheimer? Uh, New Zealand. No. No. Oh. No, do you want to have a guess at which company, uh, country? Sorry? Japan? No, well, you'd, think, you'd think Japan would be a bit annoyed about it, but no, not Japan. Germany? Not Germany. Austria? Either. No, no. America? Nope. Oh. Australia? Mate? <laughs> England? Oh, India. India. Do tell. So, so India is annoyed because, well, it was Sanskrit that uh, that he was reading mm-hmm. whilst having the, the sexual oh. relations. Uh, he was reading for a copy of the Bag, uh, Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. one of Hinduism's holiest scripts. And uh, when uh, he's asked to read from it, he mm-hmm. reads the, the line, which a line that is associated with him, yeah. now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Yeah. But India was a bit like, well, you've kind of like, you know, trivialized this by having them doing it while they're fucking. So well, that's also not cool, to, Yeah, to read from a holy book while having the sexual relations. Mm. If, you know, you had someone from a non-Christian um, religion or background maybe having the sex while reading from the Bible, yeah. I think that, yeah, there'd be people that would be up in arms mm-hmm. about that. Um, I don't think... I'm not going to say understandably because I mean it's to me it's just a book, but I can understand that it's 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 yeah. a huge gravitas for people that have faith in it. But it's it's interesting because uh, with the the sex scenes, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that um, Chris Nolan's had sex scenes in in his movies. And really, well, was there nothing in Inception? Not I can remember. No, I don't think there was in Inception. Yeah. Because they're too busy incepting things, <laughs> um, but the but yeah, it's, it's so it's and it's an inter- interesting choice because mm. like I mean there was um, the the actual sex scenes were kind of re- a bit more realistic than a lot of movie sex scenes, um, 
and one of them was like the the first one was an actual sex scene that like they showed Mm -hmm. the second one was the aftermath of sex where they just happened to be sitting there having a conversation naked Mm -hmm. which was interesting but then i thought i quite like that yeah Mm -hmm. i thought it was like it was was like yeah it was like but also don't sit on hotel chairs but if it, if it was uh, yeah if it was like washington in the winter then i can imagine like mm-hmm. it'd be quite warm inside because of all the heating and that sort of thing but um yeah it was just to see <laughs> really to, yeah. that was where your mind went but to see two people well, well it's kind of like it's weird to see two Sweaty people butt. sitting down yeah completely naked yeah. having a conversation yeah because mm-hmm. it's it's like You'd throw something on, you know. <laughs> you'd, 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 you'd throw a shirt on or something like that, but and, and not in bed. I mean, out of respect but, for the chair, yeah. which isn't yours, you'd put a pair of knickers yeah, on. Yeah. But in, 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 Nobody wants your testicles yeah. up against that hotel chair. Because because you assume that they've just had they haven't just got naked and sat in chairs. You assume <laughs> that, that would be weird, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. That would be very strange. Yeah. Isn't that what you do when you come home from work? Don't you just, just get naked and, and sit, sit in, in a chair? chair? Not, not usually, no. But so they've they've got they've had sex. Presumably, they've probably had sex in the bed. Then got out of bed and sat. Maybe in chairs. they had sex in the chair. They might have done. But there, there was in separate, maybe it was like a mutual masturbation. Thing that they just sat across from each other. Could, like, could be. Could be. Stop judging, Lewis. But the the, the, uh, the third sex. <laughs> Sorry, Cecilia, I'm making you blush. <laughs> no, it's hilarious. I'm the, just thinking of like going home and just getting naked and sitting in a chair. I'm like, maybe that's the way of the world. Like, maybe like, we should. This is our goal for the week: is just to get go home. home and get naked well, like, the, and sit the in a chair. Is for women, is mm-hmm. that we get home, we take our bras off. Yeah. Like that's that's. And that's look, what happens. it's a thing, people. Yeah. It happens. It Deal is. with it. This is why. We're good at taking our bras off without taking our t-shirts mm-hmm. off because we don't get naked to sit in the chair. <laughs> but the uh, the third the third sex scene in the film is not actually one that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's happening in the mind of Oppenheimer's wife because <gasps> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So she, it's in he's that, been um, forced to not hearing. Yeah, because that is in a chair. Yes, that is a chair. Yes, <laughs> because. In this instance, the because the 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 um the two like cases that are going on is Oppenheimer getting security clearance and then Lewis trying to get uh, approved for a cabinet position, mm-hmm. and this is usually like a just tick the box so, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a cabinet. What do they call it? It's not a hearing. It's a deposition. No. no. Um, inquisition. No. no. Just like an approval. Something. Thing. It's an approval. Yeah. Thing. We're going to go through this. this yeah, a, yeah. This approval thing and. But it's his relationship with Oppenheimer that's the real, real sticking point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, with uh, Oppenheimer, they're going through his whole life, mm-hmm. and like he was associated with the Communist Party and um, the uh, the Florence Pugh's character. It was also a bit of a kangaroo court, so they were just doing things to embarrass him. Yeah. So that they could put things on the record in order to take away his his clearance yeah Yeah. and i think that that was one of the most harrowing things to watch where there was no natural justice there was no there was no um like they every time they asked for something like well this isn't a like a hearing yeah so you don't get that opportunity and everything no you can't see like they're like can we see that Uh, no it's classified it was almost like they made all the rules and there was no chance for him but um i think like talking about relationships too kitty i felt like she was a very troubled 
person mm. and we didn't get to see a whole lot of her yeah. either. Yeah, I agree but, with that. Um, I mean, look, I mean, you only know so much from the history books, so maybe Nolan didn't know enough to even put the character you know, in play, but mm. yeah, I thought she was an interesting, troubled person. But it was interesting, like when they were forcing him to relate, because he'd gone back and seen Jean uh, mm-hmm. while he was married to Kitty, and Oppenheimer had already related what had happened to Kitty and had already, you know, addressed it, and you know, you'd think they would have moved past mm-hmm. that. But mm. when he's having to relay this story again, you see in like the actual hearing that he's having sex with Jean at the the table. Mm. But you're assuming that kind of uh, vision is from Kitty's point of view. Mm-hmm. That that's what she's seeing while she's sitting there listening to um, him having to relate that story. Maybe it wasn't, though, because it was in full colour. So maybe – because we should probably confirm whether that was the intention of Nolan. But maybe that was – like he felt like he was having sex with her in front of his wife. Like maybe that was from his point of view. Maybe. Like because like maybe like saying – like, you know, going into that detail was like for him exposing that – part of himself to his wife if they in a way actually, that he hadn't before yeah. if they actually like uh release this on uh physical media and have a commentary then we might find these things out yes <laughs> yeah well there oh, is that dear. at least it's not a disney title true mm-hmm. true yeah it's uh, it's it's a brilliant film like it's top it's to bottom well it's, crafted it's yeah. well made i think despite the factual information and the mm. you know the the character um, well the, the profiles i think the film itself is well made and, and well casted yeah. as well like you know having people pop up like you know Can- kenneth branagh yeah i um, really enjoyed that i enjoy I mean, seeing him in this movie matt damon is in this film as well yeah uh, casey affleck pops up mm-hmm. uh there's multiple other people that you just recognize and you go wow i thought that matt damon was really well cast into that particular role mm-hmm. I, I couldn't imagine who else you would have thrown into that after seeing him yeah. I mean I didn't expect to say you know the only thing I knew that this movie was called Oppenheimer obviously we knew what it was going to be about I knew that um Killian Murphy was in it mm-hmm. I knew that Emily Blunt was in it I did not know that Robert Downey Jr. was in it. Oh, really? And mm. it took me a minute to recognise yeah, him. I, I think in part because it was in black and white. Me too. But also that they aged him up as well in those first scenes that we saw him yeah, in. Yeah, he looked quite thin too. So I have to admit, I did not know this had Robert mm. Downey Jr. in it either. Mm. And it took me a couple of minutes to go, oh, that's I'm glad I'm not Robert. the only no, one. No, so you did not. That, I experienced <laughs> that too. And, I, yeah. and it was one of those moments I was like, I should have known this, but yeah. I didn't know it. No, and I, I knew that Florence Pugh was in it as yeah. well. Um, but uh, I yeah. think it was one of those beautiful movies that even though we we know what it was about, we didn't know what we were going to be going and seeing. Yes, mm. which was the perfect formula mm. for this film because, yeah, you went in and it wasn't a linear – well, it wasn't presented in a linear format – uh, so it was. Yeah, yeah I get the way. idea that he wasn't a linear mind. Yeah, mm. but also it felt really fast paced from beginning to end. Like the scene changes were very quick. They weren't lingering scenes. No, no, or, no. Definitely you know, not. long dialogue. It was very kind of, you know, very quick. So, do you think going back to like that they showed quite openly the um, the 
um, the affair that he was carrying out. And then they very heavily say that he was having an affair with, um, who was the other scientist with his wife? I can't remember. I do remember him um, saying that. And, he, yeah. and so he was like, he said, well, but he had no idea yeah. that I was having that affair. Um, and so they were very open about that. Do you think that they did that to, A, to humanise him a little bit in terms of not saying that having affairs is a human thing, but like in terms of he wasn't just like some sort of saintly um, scientist. Yeah. Like this guy was, um, he lived a life and he he lived things like, in a way, almost like a rock star kind of fashion. Yeah. Like in a way he was that flawed you, and troubled, yeah. but also held to a high, I don't know, high regard. Yeah, like high t- But yeah. in a way that a rock star kind of is, but is forgiven. Yeah. But this guy did and like, because it's not like a, oh, well, he's just a rock star. <laughs> it's not forgiven mm. and I'm not saying that either is particularly right or wrong. It's just, it's an interesting thing to sort of ponder upon in terms of the way that they kind of, fo- they didn't brush that stuff under the carpet and choose not to focus mm. on it at all. They gave it some quite heavy focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I think it, you know, there's nothing worse than going and seeing a film where the person that you are, painting a picture or portrait of a mm. true person and you you kind of hide the flaws or the bad stuff or yeah. vice versa and you paint them in a light that they perhaps weren't. So I think at least Nolan gives the audience the opportunity to, to see that, yeah, he wasn't a perfect person. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I think, yeah, I could easily rewatch this film and dissect it and uh, I think going in for a second round would just give you so much more opportunity to pick on those more subtle things that mm. you might not get the opportunity the first time around. But uh, I think for a three-hour film, it's definitely one that didn't feel that long mm. at all. It no, felt easy I to watch. didn't feel the need mm. to look at my at my watch, mm. which is um, pretty rare because yeah. as I've said a million times before, the ultimate film length is 90 minutes. Yeah, and I would agree with you uh, in most cases. But yeah. I think that, yeah, this film needed to be oh, yeah, no, three hours, that didn't time. it? And I think, yeah, it was mm. it was incredibly well-paced. And, you know, in typical Nolan, it was, you know, non-linear. And, and from a structural point of view, very well uh, executed. Yeah, I think that that is Spot on, mm. in my opinion. Um, Lou, did you have anything else you wanted to wrap up with? Um, yeah, I just think it's a great film. Like, really well made uh, about a horrible time in human history. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. Though. Ethics, man. I know. Mm. But what, what did we decide our ethics podcast was going to be called? Um, Murdering Nazis. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think there might be something in that. Murdering or killing Nazis. Uh, so I think want murdering. To, so you want to kill you have Nazis. intent. <laughs> <laughs> intent. Intent. Well, that's the whole idea of murder, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I guess so. You're true. Like, yeah. You're not just like accidentally. Nazis intent. Yeah. <laughs> Intense. I don't know. Uh, it could go anyway, any which way. But, Can uh, we quit with the Nazis? <laughs> yes. All right. Yep. Nah, but, um, I wish we could. <laughs> <laughs> Cecilia, do you want to take us out of this hellhole? Uh, look, it's been a great time uh, dissecting, delving into the film of Oppenheimer. 
Uh, but that is it for us. If you do want more, you can jump onto the Gentlemen of Pop Culture website in which you will find uh, plenty of episodes of uh, Unscripted, the film show. Uh, mm-hmm. Tangent City, mm-hmm. Wozcast, and Diz Down Under, or of course, just search them on your normal uh, podcast platform. I, whatever you use, just put in there Tangent City and we'll Google pop up it. and Google it, people. Well, uh, you don't want to do all your work for you. Come on, just you yeah. know how to use it. Use the internet to your yeah. advantage. Yes, rate, subscribe review do all of those wonderful things and um tell us what you think of oppenheimer well we've just done a like podcast on a movie and now you could do a podcast on our podcast why don't you do oh, that yeah. do it someone <laughs> that is it. inception i didn't like that the is part. somewhat inception yeah. i didn't like the part where lewis said cock monster because it was confusing <laughs> <laughs> now and i don't a, know what that term means arousing <laughs> 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 what does it mean? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And now everyone's just going, every time like the Sears for Cookie song plays, everyone's just going to be like, remember that time that Lewis said cock monster? <laughs> I feel like I'm scared to Google search it. Like, pardon me wants to stop this episode and pardon me wants to just find out what cock monster means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a meaning. Please, please Should I me. read this? Do yeah. it. Okay, so this one comes from Urban Dictionary, which we know is not a true source of information. <laughs> but anyway, nonetheless, a crazy, nymphomaniacal and usually sociopathic slut who craves the wang on a constant basis and does not let her marriage or commitment get in the way. She is unstable and thinks she's better than everyone else and will suck the lifeblood from her victims. This was written by the patriarchy. <laughs> That is hilarious. Hold on, dude. Shit, the cock monster's on the phone. That was just a small scenario where you might hear the term. Oh, my dude. Ooh, that's no, I, I just, I, I, I feel like we need a palate cleanser that's not to do with cock monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please, can I have some lemon sorbet? Please. There's more, but I'll say these off air. Okay, cool. <laughs> Hold them till off air. Lewis, have you got a palate cleanser, please? Um, <laughs> no, really, I don't. That's a, it's 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 been enlightening for everyone. Uh, I seriously, we started with dead dogs and we ended on cock monsters. <laughs> I don't know how to deal show with show takes two. us anywhere. <laughs> show takes us anywhere. All right, we're going to sign out. I do apologise. Um, we will find a palate cleanser for you. I, next I, I time. don't think that oh, should no, have been. I, I don't think that should have been gender specific though, because like, like, like it was. It was all about she is like, and it's like there's a lot. I agree. Of, as, you, oh, as you said, I'm, I'm, ki- I'm killing the episode. <laughs> it's dead. You're dead. <laughs> she to me, or he is unsafe. Ah, there we go. There we go. Nice. Ah, Much better. I thought I heard that. The, the, there you go. Um. Chardonnay is good. I just added that in there to make it more gender. <laughs> it's not actually. It's not actually in there. I just added it to make it more. Um, she, he, or them? There, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Completely, we covered all bases. Anyway, you too. <laughs> I'm banning your mobile phones next okay. time you go on this. Fair enough. All right. Agreed. Bye bye. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by the gentlemen of pop culture.